following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. I'm in the middle right now of uh, reading a biography on, on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer might be a name you know of, you've heard, maybe you've read. Uh, he's written some of the, the most famous books in, in the history of Christianity, really. Um, but Bonhoeffer was a, a German theologian and pastor uh, in, the, in the 1930s during the rise of, of Nazi Germany. Uh, and, and Bonhoeffer grew with this uh, very strong sense of what the church was to be and who the church was supposed to be. And shortly after uh, Adolf Hitler was elected as chancellor in Germany, Dietrich Bonhoeffer made this speech, and the speech was famously cut off halfway through. And, and some people say, well, you know, Nazi, the Nazi party knew what was going on, so they shut the, the radio down. Reality is that's probably not the case. They probably had some electrical issues. But in any case, he, he wrote this speech. And in it, he says this. I want you to listen to this. This is 1933. Bonhoeffer said, the church has only one altar, the altar of the Almighty, before which all creatures must kneel. Whoever seeks something other than this must keep away. He cannot join us in the house of God. The church has only one pulpit, and from the, that pulpit, faith in God will be preached, and no other faith, and no other, no other will than the will of God, however well-intentioned. I love that. I just love the beginning of that. The, the church has one altar, and that's the altar of the, the Almighty. Right? Bonhoeffer saw the Nazi regime starting to, to rise in popularity and, and starting to steal believers' attention. Now, that doesn't happen in our day, right? There's nothing that rises that steals our attention. No, there are many, many, many things. Right in our day, it may be simple things like comfort, finances. Maybe it's even just plain busyness. But like in Bonhoeffer's day, if we forget the fact that there is one God and one altar before which we kneel, if we forget why it is that we stand steadfast in the truth of the gospel, then we will fall. We've just spent two weeks, two weeks hearing from Paul about his ministry and how he was encouraging the believers in the church and us to stand unwaveringly upon the truth of God's glory. Today, he's going to make a shift. He's going to begin to turn the attention of the church in Colossae and turn our attention from, from our calling, from our mission, towards the false teachers who were trying to be the ones to steal our affections and our attention from God. Those who were, were trying to sway the believers and turn them from their calling to worship God and serve him. But before addressing those heretics directly, Paul takes this passage and he reminds the believers of their why. 
He reminds the believers from where they draw their hope, their joy, and their freedom to be who God has called them to be. In other words, Paul asks the church this question, and it's the same question that he asks you and me today. He says, why choose unwavering faithfulness to Christ when the ways of the world look so enticing? And so in today's passage, Paul is going to warn the church about the deception of the false teachers, and he's going to encourage them to reign steadfast in true freedom, in the true freedom of their faith. And the first way he's going to do that is he's going to remind the church and he's going to remind us that we find oppression in reason. We find oppression in reason. Colossians chapter two, we're going to start just with one verse, verse eight. He writes, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. Okay, right there. He says, we find oppression in reason. Paul offers the church a warning here. And it's one that should sound just as timely to us today as it sounded to the church in Colossae. Because his warning was simply this. Don't let the world take you captive. Don't let the world take you captive. And and, and the words he uses for take you captive, if you go back to the Greek language, the, the literal translation of that phrase is don't let the world make spoil of you. And the picture that should come to mind for us when we hear that, make spoil of you, should be like pirates, right? So picture a pirate. Okay, congratulations. You just figured out this whole verse. How do pirates relate to this? This idea of don't let the world make spoil of you. He's talking about pirates' treasure. He says, don't let the world come in and steal you. Don't let the world make you its trophy. Don't let the world come in and carry you away unwillingly or unknowingly. He says, don't let the world make spoil of you. Don't become enslaved to the world's vision of wisdom, of what is good, of what is right, of what is true. Why? Because Paul knows that so much of what the world proclaims to you will tell you is wisdom, will tell you is good. So much of it sounds good on the surface, doesn't it? Right? It sounds good on the surface. That's why people follow it. If it all sounded stupid, nobody would follow it. But the arguments, the philosophies, the traditions of the world sound good on the surface. Remember what Paul said in Colossians chapter 2, verse 4, right? He tells the believers, he says, listen, I am saying this to you so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. What are the arguments that sound reasonable? It's the world's philosophy and empty deceit. He says, this sounds good. And on the surface, you will see the arguments and the reason of the world. And you go, that kind of makes sense. But if we dig deeper and we hold that argument, that reason, that philosophy, that empty deceit, we hold that up to the truth of scripture, we see it for the nonsense that it is. 
Because accepting the philosophies and the traditions, the empty deceits of our world will always end for you and will always end for me and will always end for every person that follows it in spiritual oppression. Why? Because the traditions, the philosophies, the wisdom of the world is rooted in a broken and fallen creation as opposed to the holy and eternal creator. Let me show you how this works. Aaron and I, our house was, was built in the, the 1950s. So it's, it's an older house. It's settled lots over the years. Um, there have been additions made onto the house and all this stuff. But if you live in an old house, you know how this goes. You ever try to hang curtains in an old house? Because here's, here's what I used to do. If I'm going to hang curtains, I get out the level, right? And I, I level it up and I level the curtain rod because you want it to be level, right? So you level the curtain rod and you put the curtains on and then you stand back and you look at it and you go, how could I be that wrong? Because the curtain rod looks like it's like this. And you go, no, no, no. I, I use the level. I know I'm sure of it. And I'd get super frustrated and Aaron just walk out of the room. She's like, I'm not dealing with this right now, right? And so then I'll go, I'll stand up next to it and I'll grab my level and I'll put it on there. I'll be like, but it's straight. How can it look that hideous, right? But if you know the trick to hanging curtains in an old house, the trick is you don't level it. You make it run parallel to the ceiling and then it looks level. That's what happens when we listen to the traditions and the wisdom of the world around us. We take this thing that's not level and we use it as, a, as, our, as our balance. And we go, well, our thought runs parallel to this. So I stand back and it looks straight. The problem is it's not. It's unbalanced. It's unlevel. Why? Because it's measured against brokenness. Human reason will look good to us. Sometimes it'll straight up look right to us. But that's only because it's measured against the brokenness of humanity. How's this work in our lives? Let me give you a couple of examples. All right, let's talk about science. Let's talk about the scientific community. Because the scientific community will tell you that creation, that everything you see around you came from some mass of matter that randomly slammed into each other and somehow created the beauty and the majesty of the creation you see around you. And you know why the scientific community will tell you that that's the way it is? Because they're hoping to be freed from a God who created them. Listen, if we can say this is just all random and there's no reason to this, we're free to do what we want because there's no God telling us what to do. The problem is that even if you look at creation and say this mass that slammed together now created everything we see, that doesn't free you from morality. It oppresses you because now your entire life, your entire existence is absolutely meaningless. Have fun with that one. Let's talk about the world's view of sexuality. 
that it's a human right that can be bent and, and, and massaged to fit whatever your personal desire might be. Why is that the way the world views it? Because that frees you. I can do what I want. It's okay. The problem is that doesn't free you from the loneliness and the despair that you feel in your heart. It oppresses you to now be a victim of your ever-shifting moods and whims. Let's talk about politics. You knew I was going to go to politics. Let's talk about politics. Right? Because so many of us might be tempted to believe that a good political policy will bring unity and peace to our country. Never going to happen. You know how I know? Because it's never happened before, ever in the history of mankind. Good political policy, as good as it may be, and I'm not arguing for terrible political policy here, okay? Don't take it that way. But I'm saying if we put our hope and our faith for unity and success and prosperity in political ideology, it won't free us from the injustice and the division that we see around us. All it will do is oppress us by our faulty assumption and our blind spots that whatever our political stance is, is absolutely right, and anything that opposes it is absolutely wrong. That's not freedom, that's oppression. Listen, every single time, and I don't care what area of life you want to bring up, Every single time our world tries to correct morality, history, or truth to better suit the, the wisdom and the knowledge of the day, every time that happens, we only find a deeper and more tangled mess of oppression and division than we had before. Every single time. Why? Because human reason only brings oppression. Because you and I, as human beings, are broken and flawed and far from perfect. We find oppression in reason. Okay, well, what's, what's the alternative then, right? And you know, thank the good Lord that Paul never leaves us hanging on this kind of stuff. Right? He doesn't just give us this and go, okay. Have a good Sunday. We'll see you next week. He always gives us an alternative. And Paul gives us an alternative here. He says that we find oppression in reason, but we find freedom in submission. We find freedom in submission. He says this as we go on into verses 9 through 12, where he says, right, that, that you shouldn't allow yourself to be taken captive, to be made spoil of by the world and its ways. But then he says in verse 9, For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands, but putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Okay, there's some stuff in there that if you just read that on the surface, you might go, how's that talking about freedom in submission? Well, he begins and he says, listen, don't forget that the entire fullness of God dwells in Christ. This is not something new. 
We talked about this in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19. And part of Paul's hymn that he writes there, he says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ. And what he's doing there is he's highlighting the astonishing nature of Christ's submission to God the Father. See, God sent Jesus. God sent his one and only son into the world to live perfectly, die sacrificially, rise victoriously to deliver us completely. God sent him and Jesus goes. Jesus, right, who's one with the father, living in the glory of the father's presence, when called to go, submits to the Father and goes. The ultimate act of submission. Because what was in that for Jesus? If you said nothing, you are correct. What's Jesus get out of this? I've said this many times. What's Jesus get out of his sacrifice? He gets me. That is no prize. Jesus goes because the Father sends him so that he could love us when we were at our most unlovable. That is the ultimate act of submission. When Paul goes on here, he says, listen, you know the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. And he says, and you are filled with Christ. Right? The, the Father fills Christ. Christ fills us. How? When we submit to him. When we submit as Christ submitted and, and, and he goes on and he gives us these, these two marks of submission. Like, what's it look like for us to submit to Christ? And the first one, he says, you, you receive a circumcision not done by hands. Okay, boy, what, well, what? What are you talking about, Paul? Circumcision not done with hands. We have to understand first and foremost that circumcision was, was an important sign of God's covenant to his people of Israel. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 9 through, really through 9 through 14, God gives Abraham this command of circumcision. And let me read you just a few verses of this. It says in verse 9, God also said to Abraham, as for you, you and your offspring after you throughout the generations are to keep my commandment, to keep my covenant. This is my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, which you are to keep. Every one of your males must be circumcised. Then in verse 13, it says, whether born in your household or purchased, he must be circumcised. My covenant will be marked in your flesh as a permanent covenant. All right, so circumcision to the Jew was this mark that they were the Lord's. They were set apart from the nations and the peoples around them. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus becomes that identifier, right? We're no longer marked as gods by circumcision, by a mutilation of our flesh. We are marked by the fact that Jesus Christ has filled us, that we have been united with him. That is a circumcision not done with hands. It's a circumcision of the spirit of God. He goes on to say, yes, there's this circumcision of the spirit of God, but you are also marked in baptism by this expression of the change of heart that has gone on inside of you. 
this expression of the unity that you have with Christ. Right? In the spiritual sense, that baptism is when we are filled with Christ. In water baptism, it's our first act of proclaiming the gospel, telling the world that we have been changed by who Jesus is and we have been brought up new. It's not a matter of our salvation. It's a matter of a mark of the salvation we have received. The, the main idea in all of this is that Paul is saying, listen, don't forget that you have been freed from sin and death by submission to Jesus Christ because of his submission to the Father that offers you salvation through his body and his blood. Hebrews 10, 14 says it this way, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Right? By that offering of Jesus, by his submission to the Father and his offering of his body and his blood on the cross, you and I get to know the freedom of being a part of his family, of being united with Christ, of being made right. See, freedom is not about endless choices, which is a very good American definition of freedom, right? Freedom is we can do whatever we want and everybody just leave me alone. But true freedom is not about an endlessness of choices. True freedom is about being released from oppression so that we can choose the best thing. And this is the freedom we have in Christ. Not that we can go do whatever we want and it's okay because of Jesus, but because Jesus died for us, we can be made right with the Father so we can choose to love him and serve him with all of our hearts, all of our soul, all of our might, and all of our strength. But that will never happen if we refuse to submit to Jesus Christ. And submission is a hard thing. Don't, don't hear me saying, hey, submission is no big deal. It's really simple. Just everybody submit to Jesus. You'll be fine. No, it's a hard thing to do, right? It's really easy to say we believe in Jesus. It's really easy for us to come on Sunday mornings and play church. It's really easy for us to be fairly moral people. But what's hard is submitting fully and completely to Jesus Christ, laying down our lives, right? It's hard to say no to the endless stream of extracurricular activities for our kids in order that we might be able to disciple them intentionally in Christ. It's hard to stop complaining about what we don't have and what we don't like so that we can instead encourage others. It's hard to swallow our pride and invite other people into our lives, into our, our homes to put aside our, our fears of what they'll think about who we are, about the way our house looks, or about any of that stuff, also that we can bless them with hospitality. Right? It's hard to submit. But you want to know freedom? You want to know true freedom? The only way you get there is submission to Jesus Christ. It's the only way we get there. And so the question is, do we 
position our, our hearts, our minds, and our lives to see and to understand the glory of Jesus Christ so that we might choose not one of the endless choices the world has offered, but that we might choose the best, that we might choose Christ in all, through all, and above all. Paul shows us in these verses in 8 through 12 this this comparison of of oppression and freedom. But he finishes in verse 13 through 15. And he says, you can know all about oppression by human reason. You can know all about freedom by submission in your faith. But he says, all of that will only matter in your life. All of that will only ever matter if we understand that we find redemption in Christ. We find redemption in Christ. Verses 13 through 15, Paul, man, writes just this killer couple of verses. He says, and when you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. Paul continues to talk about this true freedom by explaining the gospel and laying it out very clearly and reminding the church of what Christ delivers. Right, verse 13 and 14, he just says, you, you were dead, you were dead in the oppression of your flesh, but Christ has offered you freedom of life in God by offering you forgiveness. It says, Jesus erased the debt with its obligation. He understands that we all sin, right? You sin, I sin. Every single one of us sins. And because we sin, even once, even one slip of the tongue, even one small mistake, any sin at all in our lives means we deserve God's wrath because he is perfect and holy. The debt we owe is our lives, our blood. What we owe is death. And we know that only blood can satisfy the wrath of God. But Jesus steps in. He erased the debt and its obligation. How? By nailing it to the cross. By the sacrifice of his own body, by the sacrifice of his blood, he paid our debt and he paid it in full. You know, one of my favorite verses, John 19, verse 30, 
This is after Jesus had received the sour wine. He says, it is finished. And he gave up his spirit, right? It is finished. My favorite Greek word, tetalestai. Tetalestai, it is finished. It is paid in full. Not in part, not as a down payment so that you can do better and be a better person and earn the rest of this payment. No, 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 it is paid in full. And by this, Jesus Christ overcame our sin and overcame the world and its oppression. You you ever buy a car and work really hard to pay off that car loan? And then you pay it off and right, you get, you get the, the title back from the bank. It's, it's a good experience, isn't it? You hold that, you're like, okay, this is, my, this is mine now. I paid it. At that point, when you hold that in your hand, can the bank come take it back? No. Can the car dealer come repossess it? No. Why? Because you've paid the debt in full. Every philosophy and tradition of mankind, every cultural revolution of this world is always an attempt to pay off what the world can't pay. It is always an attempt to fulfill a deep-seated understanding that we know that we need redemption. That's why the world tries to sell you on what it's got. And that's why you and I far too often buy into it. Because we know we're not right. We need something else. And maybe this thing that the world offers is going to do it. But it never works. Everything the world has tried has always failed. And everything the world will ever try will always fail. We will never bring freedom to our hearts, to our lives by greater efforts or by more scholarly, worldly wisdom. Because we are helpless on our own. Romans 5, verse 6. Again, Paul writing says, for while we were still helpless, while we were in our flesh, while we had the best this world could offer, while we did everything as right as we could, we were still helpless. And while we were helpless at just the right time, Christ died for who? The good, the nice, the sweet, the smart, the morally okay. No, for the ungodly. For the ungodly. Who's the ungodly? You and me. You and me apart from Christ. Why? Because apart from Christ, we are the world. And we have nothing that can pay our debt. But in Christ, we already have the freedom and the hope and the joy and the salvation of redemption in him. The salvation through Jesus Christ, the one who left the throne of heaven to be born in Bethlehem to take on human flesh, to live the life that God created you and me to live, but we failed at. So that he could die a death that you and I deserve to die, 
but fortunately don't have to because he took it on for us so that we could have a victory over sin and death and the grave that you and I could never earn on our own, but have only because Jesus has been victorious. Also that we could be reunited with our father in heaven, that we could be made right, that when we stand before him in judgment, God doesn't look at us and go, did you do enough? Were you nice enough? Did you treat people well enough? Did you get this right? Did you get that right? Instead, he looks at us and he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he welcomes us into his eternal presence. We are redeemed by nothing but the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And it is only in him that we find redemption. What Jesus tells us, what he reminds us of, is Jesus says, listen, I am offering to fix everything. I'm offering to fix everything for you with a fix that will not leave you dead-ended and in in some kind of unsatisfying failure. But he's going to ask us the question. He's going to ask us a very simple question. He's going to ask us, Are you in? Do you trust me? Will you follow me? Will you submit? Will you give up everything this world says is enough so that you can have the only thing that is enough? Do we rest in the peace of our redemption in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone? that seems like a really boring question to ask on Sunday morning in church, right? Because I know, we all know we're supposed to say yes. But man, there are far too many times in my life where I step back and I look at it and I go, I'm not living in submission. I did what I wanted. I got, I I want retribution on my terms. When we're honest, are we living in submission? So far in this letter to the church of Colossae, Paul laid out the foundation of the sovereignty and supremacy of Jesus Christ in chapter one. From there, he showed us how our trust in Jesus' sovereignty and supremacy drives us forward in our mission and our calling to love the Lord and to serve his kingdom over our own desires. And that all leads us to this point where now he reminds us of the the true freedom, the only freedom we have in Jesus Christ. The freedom that is found in our submission to the redemptive work and the sovereignty and supremacy of Christ. He reminds us that it's only when we ground ourselves in the gospel that we are freed from the oppression of the world, of its philosophies and its empty deceit. It's only when we ground ourselves in the gospel that we are free to submit to Christ and the joy and the hope of his work. It is only when we ground ourselves in the gospel that we are freed by the redemption of the body and the blood of our Lord and Savior. In other words, Paul tells us that the world can offer you some short-term satisfaction that will look and might even feel right for a moment, but it will ultimately destroy you. But in Jesus Christ, we are set free. 
We're set free from the world and we're set free to his everlasting, eternally satisfying and overwhelmingly joyful kingdom. Church family, the the world is going to offer you some nice sounding but ultimately deceitful arguments for why you should choose its ways. Why you should choose the ways of human reason and of the flesh. May we stand unwaveringly on the gospel of Jesus Christ, on the call to die to ourselves daily, and on the call to live and love and serve in Jesus Christ alone. In doing so, may we continue to reflect Jesus into a world that desperately needs for us to show them what true freedom looks like. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your faithfulness, your goodness. We thank you for the fact that you continue to pursue us even when we push you aside, even when we try to to do things our own way and on our own. Lord, we come to you and we repent uh, of the ways we have built other altars in our lives. But as we repent, Father, we run back to you. And we thank you for your love poured out through your son, Jesus Christ. The gift of life and freedom that we have in him. Not because of who we are, what we have done. Not because we're better people. Not because we're smarter people. Not because we're wiser people. Not because we've read our Bibles. Not because we've prayed, not because we've been to church, not because we don't go do the things that those other people do, but because you have loved us and you have done everything that needs to be done. Now the payment has been made on the cross by the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you We praise you. And in your great and your awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.